Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. So today um, we are going to be diving into another story. And um, over the past couple of weeks, um, we've been recounting the story of uh, Jesus on his way to the cross. Um, his experiences, certain things that he went through, um, and little aspects of that story that we can take and learn uh, here today. And today we're going to be talking about his experience in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is a really hard word to say, Gethsemane. So if, if I say it terribly, just laugh and I'll feel better. Um, but if you have Bibles, uh, please open them up to Mark chapter 14, um, verses 32 to 42. So Mark 14, 32 to 42. Uh, we'll read that in just a second. Um, I was having severe flashbacks. I don't know if there's anybody else here who had an incredible desire for a go-kart when they were younger. That, that story just like gave me so many memories. There was this family that lived around the corner from us called the Keevneys. That was their last name. There was Connell, Cahill, Connor, Kiva, and Katie Keevney, which say that five times faster. Uh, and they had this like incredible you know, pedal go-kart that looked like a Formula One car. I've never been so jealous in my entire life. So... Uh, Maybe someday I'll get one, but we'll see. Um, that has nothing to do with today's topic, so ignore that. Uh, but this, this passage, um, we have this interesting story where Jesus experiences anxiety, distress, um, anguish, uh, and, and is just in a very stressful situation, which, if you're like me, um, I find that kind of comforting because I also experience stress. Uh, I'm, I'm typically a pretty carefree guy, probably too carefree. There's plenty of volunteers who've told me that. Um, but a little bit too carefree. I don't get stressed all that easily. Um, but when I do get stressed, I get very stressed. And my wife can keep me accountable to that. Um, but one of the stories in my life where I think I experienced the most amount of stress was in the immigration process. Okay, um, Immigration, not fun. Uh, it's, it's an absolute nightmare. Um, tons and tons of paperwork, tons and tons of expenses. Um, and lots of silence when you just send off a pile of paper and you hope for the best. Um, so whenever Kylie and I got engaged in October 2017, was it not? Yes, okay, she shook her head, oh, she panic. Okay, <laughs> October 2017, we started this immigration process, okay? So we applied for what was called the fiancé visa, um, and we applied for it, and we were, we were, you know, filled out all the paperwork, got loads of people to look over it, just loads of pages of stuff, put a big check in there with an, an uncomfortably large number and mailed it off to the American government and hoped for the best. Uh, and we just waited in silence. Two months passed, nothing, no word. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the American government, uh, the, the, the area that we were trying to deal with uh, had a short shutdown thing where they decided to stop working for a little while, probably for about four months. So that delayed our whole process. Now, at this point, this was October, end of October, early November when we started. So we were like, OK, this is like around this time. This is, it takes six months to get this visa. It's only the first step just to enter the country. Let's plan the wedding for August. OK, so we planned our wedding. We started booking everything, spent some more money on a wedding, and, and got all that ready. So our, our target was August 28th. That's what we were going for. Anyway, the new year comes around, complete silence, absolutely nothing. I'm sitting stressing away. Kylie and I are both working full-time in ministry. Um, I was a youth pastor in a small church, kind of like this one. 
and Kylie was in campus ministry up in uh, university up in Belfast, and we were just working away. We were like, okay, we're just going to keep focusing on our ministry, hand it off to God, and hope for the best. That was our plan. Still silence for a long, long time. Now, at this point, I was beginning to really stress out and think, okay, like, we need to get this as soon as possible because we need to move. In the meantime, Kylie was having friends who were having dreams that all of this was going to work out, prophetic dreams. And she was having morning devotionals day in, day out that were always related to her stress and her topic. And that was fantastic. She had this reassurance from God. And I was sitting there like, okay, can you <laughs> give me a dream? That'd be great. If you could tell me something, you know, a vision, a dream, or a, I don't know, send an angel, tell me everything's going to be okay. That would be wonderful. Uh, that never happened. Um, so, you know, but uh, so we just went on. We were more silent, just sitting, waiting. And uh, eventually we finally got the letter through saying that our first step had been approved. And we were like, okay, finally. So there was a few more things that we had to do, more paperwork, more checks that we had to send off and wait. Uh, and eventually they came back. And at this point, it's like coming up to summer, uh, sort of May-ish time. And I finally get this letter telling me that I can move on to the final steps. I'm thinking, fantastic. Okay, I can finally move into the final steps. We can get there. We can get married. We can settle. It's going to be great. So and this is sort of probably around the end of May time, I get this letter saying that I can now apply for my medical exam, right? Um, not an exam I have to take, but like medical examination, making sure I'm not bringing any dangerous things into the country, um, any diseases. So I have to fly to London to get this uh, examination done. So I call them up, and I'm like, okay, give me your next available appointment. And this isn't the last step. There's still plenty more to go. Next available, available appointment, uh, August 25th. <laughs> Three days before the wedding. Okay, that's not going to work. So we then panic, stress ensues. We're like, okay, game over. We're going to have to cancel the wedding. Do it later. We'll just elope when we get there. It's fine. We actually almost planned on, I probably shouldn't share this, but we almost planned on, I have an Irish passport and a British passport. So I was going to fly over on my Irish passport and get married and then fly back to get my British passport that had the visa and fly back, but that was a little bit sketchy. So um, <laughs> we didn't do that. We decided that was a bad idea after a lawyer told us it was a really bad idea. Um, so, you know, we were like, okay. I was on the phone with him. I was like, look, put me on a waiting list. If anything pops up, please uh, let me know. So that was first thing in the morning. Kylie and I take the day and a few friends to fast and pray and really hope that, this, that God pulls through. Um, Four o'clock that afternoon, I get a call, and they're like, can you come in tomorrow at 9 a.m.? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I was like, absolutely. I put the phone down, booked a flight with money I didn't have, and like, hopped on a plane, flew to London that evening, and got the examination done. All was well. We were finally moving into the last few stages. Obviously, then we had to wait for a month before they replied and told us whether we had passed or anything like this. Um, and in that waiting period, so the last step I had to go through was to do the interview. Again, in London, had to fly over to London, do that. Um, we were pretty much out of money at this point. My, my parents and our church were very generous and helped us cover some of our, our costs to do that. But in the, in the time when we were waiting for the letter to tell me when my interview was, um, two things were going on. One, uh, I had a missions trip coming up um, to go to Romania and Hungary with a, with a group of young people. Um, and I was super excited about that, but the problem was if, if my interview was at that time, I'd have to cancel. Or if the letter arrived while I was there, you know, I'd miss it. And that would be a disaster. So we were like, oh, do, we, do, we, do I not go on that? Do I go on that? All of this stress, thinking. I hate having to make decisions. So it was all of this decision-making stuff. So that was coming up. And then at the same time, um, my father was rushed into hospital. Um, he had severe abdominal pain. He was out on a kayaking 
trip. He always ended up in hospital after kayaking trips. He would dislocate his shoulders or come home with blood everywhere. Was, he was just, he's Mr. Outdoors. He always loved doing that kind of stuff. But this was a little different. Um, he couldn't keep anything down. Anytime he drank any water, it just came straight back up. Um, and nobody knew what was going on. So we were kind of panicking a little bit about that. And we didn't really know what was happening. So eventually, they found a blockage in his intestine. And they had to do a biopsy. And it turned out to be cancerous. Um, so that was diagnosed with uh, bowel cancer. And at that point, we had no idea what extent this was at. And um, his mother died of the same cancer very quickly um, when I was a kid. So panic started to ensue of like, OK, we ended up going to the hospital, Kylie and I, and like, look, we'll cancel all of our plans. We'll stay here. You know, help mom around the house while you're in a hospital. We don't know what's going to happen. We'll just stay. So that whole thing was piled on top. And we're like, OK, what do we do? And dad was very clear. He was like, don't worry. God's got this. We're fine. You need to go and start your new life. You've got, made all these plans. Go do it. Okay, so thankfully, it turned out it was very early stages. And he cancer-free, so that's fantastic. Um, but we uh, then you know, went to Hungary, all, the, all that kind of stuff. Was stressed that I had missed the letter or anything like that. Came home. The day I arrive home, the letter arrives. And I get to go over to London to do my interview. Just coincidence after coincidence happening. It was, it was ridiculous. So finally, got the interview, everything passed. I was just waiting for the visa to arrive. Um, that was the final step. The visa had to be sent to my house, and then I could leave the country and come here. Um, so Kylie had already gone over, had already come over here, planned everything, getting ready. Um, and at this point, my family, actually, and all my friends who were coming to the wedding were already in the country. And I was sitting at home, waiting <laughs> for my visa, hoping that it was going to arrive before the wedding. Um, Another completely sidetracked story, but um, my dad originally wasn't going to be able to come to the wedding um, because of health insurance costs, because he was on chemotherapy. It was incredibly expensive. We couldn't afford it. It was thousands of dollars um, for a couple of weeks. So you know, he wasn't going to be able to make it. That was really sad. My dad and I don't have like a lovey-dovey relationship, but it's very much like practical. You know, I wanted him to come see where we were living, tell me about the different birds that are in the area, or the wildlife, or go out on a hike. Um, or he can show me how to take apart a socket and put it back together. And those sorts of meaningful little moments, that's the kind of relationship my dad and I have. Um, and uh, it was very sad that he wasn't going to be able to come. And all of a sudden, he got an infection in his pick line. Just disaster, more stress, what's going on? But the infection mean meant that he couldn't get any more chemo, which meant that his health insurance costs dropped to like two or $300. Just ridiculous. He came over to the wedding. It was fantastic. Uh, eventually, I was sitting waiting for the visa. and. Um, uh, this was like a week before the wedding. <laughs> I was sitting in my house on my own. Everyone else is in America. And I was sitting waiting there. And this random guy in a Fiesta hatchback pulls up and hands me an envelope. And I open it. And the visa's in there. So I hop on a plane, race over here, like five or six days before the wedding. We get married. Everything was fine. But the amount of stress for that year was just ridiculous. It was a horrible, horrible time. <laughs> uh, if Kylie and I could have, we would have been married or engaged for like a week and just eloped. We'd be happy enough. Um, but um, God put us through this trial, this test, this uh, difficult time where we had to rely on him and know that he was going to pull us through. Um, hand everything off to him and say, OK, we're going to keep doing our ministry. We're going to go on our missions trips. We're going to keep planning. Please help us in this moment. We have faith. Help us. And he did. Um, now, he didn't stop the stress. He didn't stop the cancer. He didn't stop any of that stuff. Um, but he did do amazing things in the process. So again, this story that we're about to read in Mark chapter 14 tells us uh, of a time when Jesus also experiences stress and anguish, now to a much greater extent than I do, than I did. Um, 
So Mark chapter 14, verse 32 to 42. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going on a little further, uh, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it, would, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour, watch and pray that you might not enter into temptation? The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Okay, will you pray with me? Um, Father, uh, thank you for this passage. Thank you for this story. Uh, Lord, uh, be with all of us here. Um, give me the words uh, and, and teach through me. Um, and Lord, I pray that everyone here has ears to hear and, and learns um, something about your goodness, your goodness and your passion and your uh, majesty today. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so when I was preparing for this message and I was looking at the passage, and um, when Ben and I were talking through this, um, there were many different aspects of the story that sort of popped out that we could talk about. You know, firstly, we could talk about the disciples and their experience in this story, how they continuously fell asleep. They, they were asked to do one thing, stay awake and watch, and they didn't do it. Um, and, you know, very much that's kind of true for us today. We're told to go out and share the gospel. That's the one thing he tells us to do. Um, and so frequently we fall short and we don't do it. And we could talk about that in this passage. Um, or we could also look at the, you know, at the end of the passage where he's handed over to his betrayer. We could talk about Judas and the relationship there. Or, you know, obviously with what I was talking about earlier, we can talk about these, the stress and the anxiety that he experienced. And like was read at the start of the service, that we have a God who is able to sympathize and empathize uh, empathize with us and our experiences, which is such a special thing, that no matter what we go through, he's been through worse. <laughs> you know, we can take comfort in knowing that he um, knows how we feel, and he's fought temptation, and he's done all of that. And lastly, there was actually one little piece um, of this passage that I really want to hone in on, um, and it kind of has come up over the past few weeks that we've been focusing on this study, um, and it's the phrase to say no to yourself and saying yes to God. That's something that wasn't planned, um, but has come up over the past few weeks continuously, saying no to yourself and saying yes to God. And this passage directly tackles that topic, that idea, uh, in verse 36. So if you look at verse 36 again, um, this is the prayer that Jesus prays. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And this prayer is really profound, okay? This is three short phrases that he puts in this very short little verse, but it, it contains so much goodness and richness to it. And um, you've probably noticed, but over the past few months, we've been going, as we've been going through Ephesians, 
we're going through like one or two verses at a time, and we don't have enough time to tackle all of it. There's so much depth to the Bible and to, to Scripture um, that this passage of 10 verses, I'm going to primarily be focusing on one moment in it. That's just how deep Scripture is. We can spend so much time diving into all of it, and, and this prayer is really special. Um, now, I grew up in a Presbyterian church back home in Ireland, and there's very much a stereotype that you must have three points to your sermon. So we're going to break this little prayer up into three points, um, just to make sure that I'm being holy. Um, and uh, we're going to look at three short sections in this prayer and, and sort of um, take it apart piece by piece so we can really understand um, why Jesus is praying, what he prayed, and what that means for us today. So firstly, again, verse 36, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. All things are possible for you. See, this is the thing that Jesus knew better than anybody, is that we serve the most powerful being ever. Our God is more powerful than you and I could ever imagine, ever. And, and he has absolute 100% faith and, and um, confidence in God's power. And now he was God as well, so I mean, that's kind of confusing. But um, he knows that the Father is good. He knows that the Father um, is powerful, all-powerful, and can do anything. So he, he starts his prayer by just acknowledging how powerful God is. Now, if you're like me, um, you might say all the time, well, yes, of course God is all-powerful. But in the deep, dark crevices of my heart, I know that there are times that I say, well, yeah, God's all-powerful, but I don't think he's going to do that for me. Right? I don't think he's actually going to... I mean, yeah, he's all-powerful, but what about these kind of like little things in there? Um, he might not want to do that because of all these other outcomes. I don't really know. I'm just not going to ask. Anybody been there in that moment of like, you know, I, I don't want to really focus too much. I'm just little old me. God doesn't really care. I know he's powerful, but no, it's not to me, not for me. Um, but later or uh, earlier in this book, um, or not in this book, in a different gospel, Matthew uh, chapter 17, Jesus says this phrase. Um, so uh, Matthew 17, 19, and 20, Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast out the demon? He said to them, Because, you're, you, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, um, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now this, this passage tells us clearly the power of, of faith and confidence in God. Right, in, the, in the power that he was. That was the one thing that we did right in our immigration process is that we handed it off. We said, right, God, we have faith that you're going to pull through. We're going to keep doing the mission that you told us to do. Please help us out because we have faith that you have power. Um, I can't often say that there's something I did right in my faith, but that's one time we can kind of look at it and, and be confident in that. Um, but this passage is also very, very popular amongst the prosperity gospel teachers. Um, the name it and claim it theology, or as Ben called it, was it blab it and grab it? Is that... That, yeah, blab it and grab it. I love that. I think it's great. Blab it and grab it theology. Um, the idea that if you have enough faith, God will do anything for you, right? Or, or to flip it on its head, is like, oh, well, you were praying for healing, but they weren't healed because you lacked faith. Or you, you weren't healed in this moment because you lacked faith. You didn't get that promotion in your job because you lacked faith. You didn't get that raise because you lacked faith. That's kind of the other side to that coin. Um, and it's a very popular teaching, um, especially here in the States. Um, and what that teaching is basically saying that it all, um, all of God's power relies on us just to think the right thing. Um, and there's a huge glaring problem with this idea. And this, this verse isn't the only verse that says this, okay? This, this verse does come up in multiple places. Again, last week, Ben was talking about John chapter 15, and it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So, again, we kind of, it, it makes sense. It's in the Bible. It's there. So, what do we do with it whenever we know for a fact that um, that doesn't quite add up, you know? Uh, just because I have faith doesn't mean that God is going to give me a raise or a better job down the line. It doesn't mean I'm going to have a good retirement. It doesn't mean I'm going to have the perfect family. But that's what a lot of preachers do, teach, um, b- based on these couple of verses. And it's really appealing. It's really appealing because it's just like, oh, if I just believe harder, I'll get everything I want, right? And that's, that's the teaching, and that's, that's what's so dangerous about this sort of belief of, of um, every, anything will be done for you if you just have faith. So this theology, it comes from a couple of passages. It is from the Bible, but there's one huge glaring problem with this teaching, and that is what happens when God says no, right? What happens when God says no? Because if, if your theology is based around that teaching of, um, well, I'll have more faith and God will bless me, what happens when God says no? Because your entire faith starts to fall apart because that doesn't work, right? If, you're, if your faith relies on you being blessed from God all the time just because you're thinking the right thing, when bad times come your way, when, when COVID hits, when all of this stuff happens, your faith falls apart. Um, because all of a sudden, the blessings aren't happening, so is your faith not real? That's the doubt that comes in. So this brings us on to the second section of this prayer that Jesus makes. Um, again, verse 36, uh, remove this cup from me. Okay, remove this cup from me. Now, Jesus makes a request. And again, Jesus having perfect faith, 100% faith, um, full confidence in the gospel, makes a request to God. Um, and this cup, if you don't know, the cup represents this idea of this mission that he's been given, the mission to come into the world, to live amongst humans, and then ultimately to be killed, crucified, um, tortured, uh, ripped apart, um, have his flesh ripped apart, but not only that, but to bear the weight, the guilt, and, the, and the, just every aspect of sin from past, present, and future, all on his shoulders. That is a monumental task for anybody to undertake, um, and none of us could do it. We just couldn't do it. Um, and, and, and at this point, Jesus recognizes that this is incredibly stressful and a really like, monumental task that he has to take. And he's stressed about it, he's worried about it, and he is actually asking, Father, if there's any other way, if there's another way, please remove, take this cup from me, and, and we'll do something else. I'm, this is so much for me to take on. He makes his request. He puts it forward. Um, But as we know, God says no. God didn't remove the cup from him, even though he had perfect faith, and he made a request. So so that kind of removes that whole prosperity gospel idea, because ultimately, um, God's the one in charge. You see, God said no, and Jesus still had to go through with his mission. Um, God said no. So what do we do when God says no? You see, the important thing that we need to recognize is that our God is not a vending machine right? He's not a vending machine. He's a king, okay? We, we don't walk up to God with our prayer, insert our prayer, press what we want, and then it's dispensed to us, okay? We go to our God and our king on our knees, and we, we present what we want to him. If there's something that we desire, if we do need a raise to care for our families, whatever it is, we present that to him, and then we leave it in his hands. And you see, we can't go around just believing that whatever we ask is going to happen, um, because Ultimately, that would just lead to utter chaos, absolute chaos. If everything that I wished happened, happened, it would be a complete mess. My life would be all over the place. Um, and other people's lives would probably be all over the place too if God answered every qu- uh, prayer request that I made. Um, so God is not a vending machine. He is a king. You see, whenever we think that we can take our faith and our power 
and use it to make God do what we want him to do, by definition, that's witchcraft. By definition, that is witchcraft. What witchcraft is, is to have your own ability, your own power, your own belief to manipulate a God's will and use it for your own gain. That's witchcraft. That is not the gospel. Um, We're called to do the absolute opposite. We're to call ourselves to submit ourselves to God's will. Um, submit uh, Submit ourselves and our own will and our own desires under what God has planned for our lives. So finally, the third little section of this prayer. Um, and this is the most powerful phrase um, for anybody's prayer life. Uh, if, you're, if you uh, have a good prayer life or a, or a poor prayer life, whatever it is, um, this phrase is so vitally important. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And to me, this is one of the hardest things to pray, right? Because there are things that I want, okay? There are nicer cars that I want. There are nicer houses that I want. There are all these things that I want that are just fleshly desires, um, And I know that whenever I'm in prayer, the most important thing for me to do is to submit myself under his will, to lay my own agenda aside and say, right, God, what do you want me to do? Right, where where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? Um, If it was up to my own will, I don't actually know if I'd be in this country. You know, I'd probably stay back home where I was comfortable and I knew what I was doing. I have no clue what I'm doing here. So if that shows when I'm up on stage, that's fine. Um, But, uh, you know, we felt like this is where we were supposed to be. So we came here. And the, the thing is, we're all selfish. I'm incredibly selfish. There are so many things that I struggle to let go of for my own pride and my own desires. Um, and, and on the flip side of that, there's other times in prayer that I just have no idea what God's will is in the first place. You ever been there where you're, like, you're seeking advice or, or direction for these two things? And you're like, okay, God, I can do this or I can do this. What should I do? And you're just th- sitting there and you're like, I have no clue what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Um, and that's where this phrase comes so important. Um, you know, not my will, but your will be done. And the same thing, Jesus teaches the same thing in the Lord's Prayer. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Um, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, the prayer is not, you're powerful, give me what I want. Okay, that would be a pretty terrible prayer. Um, but what the Lord teaches us to pray, the two times that we have him praying and teaching us to pray, is to submit our will under his now, there's, there's been times, uh, this is kind of like a two-sided coin, because there have been times where I've actually said this, what I'm about to, to talk about, but there are times, especially in, when talking about healing or when talking about seeking um, uh, like success or anything like that, there are times when people do pray um, this sort of fluffy, well, you know, God, if, if, if it's in your will, you know, well, maybe you can let this happen, right? Anybody been there? Okay, I, I've been there many, many times, and I've been told off for praying that prayer by many people. Um, because they tell me that it's because of my lack of faith, right? You know, well, when you pray like that, it's clear that you just don't have faith and you're leaving room for it not to happen so that if it doesn't happen, then, you know, it's not God's fault. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's, I've been told that before many times. Um, and as much as my doubt in those moments can be true, don't let that teaching sink into your heart. Really, really don't, because that is, this is the most potent thing that you can pray whenever you're praying for healing, whenever you're praying for anything, is, God, this is, please heal this person. Please do this, Lord. Um, but not my will, your will. Um, because God has a much greater plan, a much bigger plan than you and I could ever imagine. Again, with, with my dad and his cancer um, experience, um, we prayed that it wasn't cancer whenever they were doing the biopsy. Um, we had faith. You know, we didn't lack faith in that moment. Um, but God said no, and it was cancer. Um, 
And it, my dad was able to have this incredible outreach about mental health uh, whilst you're going through um, cancer treatment and chemotherapy and had, and had the most amazing attitude um, in, in his struggle and had a big impact. And my sister made this mini documentary about it, and it was incredible. There was this huge outreach that came out of that because God's will and God's plan was much greater than our own. Um, sometimes our comfort isn't the most important thing on God's mind, right? And that's hard, but it's true. Um, our comfort isn't always the most important thing uh, on God's mind. So finally, the, the question is, how do we know what God's will is? I'm, I'm going to kind of close on this. Um, how on earth do we know what God's will is? If God is so transcendent, so massive, so powerful, how on earth can we know what it is that he wants? Uh, and I think that the same thing is completely true of our earthly relationships. See, I know that if Kylie and I are to go on a, on a nice date, okay, if we're going to go on a date out, I know after being together for almost six years, and because she told me, I know, never suggest bowling. Just don't suggest bowling. It's not going to happen. She's going to be upset that I even suggested bowling because she hates bowling with passion. Now, we did go bowling once, and it was hilarious because it turns out she is the most competitive person I've ever met. Um, <laughs> it was very funny. Sorry. Um, but I, I know not to suggest that because we got to know each other. I know to suggest, let's go out and watch a movie, get loads of ice cream, and probably eat loads of food. And she's like, yes, let's do that. But that came because I got to know her, right? And the reason that I was able to know what she wants, what she enjoys, and, and what she wants to do um, with me when we're out on dates or whatever, is because I got to know her. And the same exact thing is true uh, in our relationship with Christ. Uh, I'm going to uh, invite the worship team back up um, just as we close here. This is the most important thing that you can uh, have with regards to your prayer life as well. Is Look, if you want to know what God's will is, you cannot expect to hear from him without trying to get to know him, without talking to him, without learning what he says. And the, the best thing is we have an entire book, a huge book, which has loads of information about everything that he thinks and believes and wants in, in our lives. Get to know him. Uh, if you don't know him and you want to know what God's will is for your life, that's one of the big questions that everybody has is, what on earth is God's will for my life? Get to know him. Ask him. Talk to him. Um, relate to him. Pray to him. Let him get to know you and, and pour your heart out to him uh, and learn uh, what his will. Learn to submit yourself under his authority. Um, we serve an amazing and wonderful God. Amen? We, we serve a wonderful, wonderful God. And even when he says no, I should give this back to you. Even when he says no, it's because he is a good God. Even when he says no and we don't understand it, it's because he is a good God. Um, he is amazing and he has such an amazing plan for this world and for everything that we're going to go through. In the best times and in the hard times, he is good. So the, the whole thing for today is learn to submit yourself under his will. Learn to communicate with him and learn what his will is so that we can better go about doing the one mission he told us to do, which is to share the gospel and to love him so much.